Thank you for listening to the Identity House Ministries podcast. We hope you are encouraged and empowered by this week's teaching from Matt Ball. Cool, we're going. Um, all right, so this is new and different and we haven't really done it done uh done identity house this way before but i'm glad uh everybody is tuning in uh over the interwebs <laughs> so this is this is just a, a test so we're gonna we're gonna see how this goes and uh hopefully it's uh working for all you guys out there and i wow that's gonna be weird hearing my voice back is there a way yeah is there a way we could like turn that down Yes. Sweet. That's okay. Cool. Much, much better. <laughs> Sorry. Thank about you. Feedback. No. Yeah. All good. All good. Um, yeah. Cool. So uh, tonight, guys, we're going to be doing um, a really cool teaching out of Acts chapter six and chapter eight. Um, going to be talking about Philip the Evangelist and some cool things that I just wanted to to share about the legacy of the church. Um, but before we get into that, I wanted to give. Um, everybody that's out there listening on, on Zoom and Facebook Live, um, just an opportunity to ask some questions about the coronavirus and everything that's going on in the world right now, because, I mean, there's a lot of questions, and, you know, I don't presume to have all the answers, but if you guys have questions, you know, as, as the church, we want to we wanna meet you guys where you're at and uh, potentially, you know, have some sort of answer for you. I don't presume to speak on behalf of, you know, all of the leadership team or, or even on Identity House as a whole, but, you know, I, I've thought about what's going on in the world a lot, and, you know, if you guys have questions, I certainly want to try to tackle those and so we can answer that. So if you, if you guys want to type in some comments on, on uh, Facebook Live or in Zoom somehow, uh, yes. Nate says, Matty B, let's go. All right, let's go. Your wife go. says, what a guy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He's, all right, comments in real time. This is going to be interesting. I like it. Let's go, Nate. All right, sweet. Um, so while you, if you guys are sharing any questions, if you don't have any, that's totally cool. But I just wanted to share a couple things before we get into the teaching that have been really encouraging to me. Um, and so... There's this passage in Matthew chapter 24 that I think touches on what we're dealing with in the world right now. And so I just wanted to share it, you know, before we jump into the teaching and and everything that we're going to do tonight. So um, in Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 4, this is Jesus talking to his his disciples. And he says, says, Jesus answered them, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in in my name saying, I am the Christ, and you will and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, epidemics, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Guys, one of the reasons that this is encouraging to me is because Jesus literally told us that stuff like we're experiencing now would happen. He said that there would be famines and there would be epidemics and that there would be uh, nation rising against nation and wars and rumors of wars. Um, You know, if most of you guys are like at at Identity House are a similar age to me, I've grown up in the post 9-11 era. I was 10 years old when 9-11 happened Mm -hmm. in the fourth grade. I have not known a time since then that our nation hasn't been at war. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, that's the reality of being an American today. 
is is we live in a nation that is perpetually seems that way perpetually at war with somebody and Jesus told us that would happen um, Jesus told us that stuff that stuff like what we are experiencing right now with the coronavirus a global or you know localized epidemic he told us that that would happen but the key phrase in this passage is see that you are not troubled guys we don't have to be afraid um, one of the one of the questions that I have heard people grappling with over this coronavirus thing is the idea of whether or not this is uh, an attack from Satan or a judgment from God on unrighteousness. Um, I'm not smart enough to know the answer to that question. <laughs> I totally am not, uh, because there there is legitimate biblical precedence for both for both of those things. What I do know is that in either case, we don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. Because if this thing is God's judgment on unrighteousness, then we are the righteous and we are safe. We are Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and if it's, if it's the other case, if this is, if this is you know, just an attack of Satan trying to, to bring down you know, all of these different nations that are experiencing this in the world and to pull people away from God, then... You know, we're safe because God has us under his wing. And we are like, you know, we're not immune to attacks from Satan, but he, God shelters us from so many things. I mean, the, the passage that's been uh, shared around so much is that Psalm 91 passage. Uh, go, go look up and read it. It's very encouraging. Um, God, God shields us from all this stuff that, that's happening. So like, whether, whether you're tempted to be afraid for, for either reason, like, Jesus knew that this would happen. God knew that this would happen. And he said, don't be afraid. So, either way, guys, we're good. Um, do we have any questions? Um, Kimberly Crew says, my boy. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Miss <laughs> <laughs> um, Pegram says, amen. Amen. Cool. Um, and Evan says, we do live in a society. So. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. That is all I have at this moment. Correct. Cool. Well, if you guys want to talk more about that, we certainly can later on. But for now, why don't we just uh, why don't we just jump into the teaching? I know that these are are trying times that we're living in, and um, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the world. We're gonna stick together, and we're gonna get through all this stuff. We are good because God is good. Amen, yeah. um, all right, so I'm just going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll just jump, we'll just jump into this teaching. So, um, Papa, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much that you are a good Father, um, that you care so much for our well-being, um, and that you always have all of our little cares and worries and, and problems on your mind, uh, because you are, you are an all-knowing God, and you... Uh, you know, you say if a sparrow falls from the tree, do you not see it? Yeah, you see it. So how much more important are we than, than that sparrow? Um, and Father, I just thank you so much for that, that you are totally and completely invested in our lives. Um, you're so good and we are so blessed to be able to call you Father. Um, so Dad, I just ask that as, as we jump into this teaching tonight, into your word, that you would just bless the message um, that's going forth tonight, that... Um, you would give me the words to say and that uh, hearts and ears would be open to the truth that you have. Uh, Father, we just rebuke 
the enemy and any spirits of distraction with this new format that we're we're doing tonight um, that uh, this would not cause any problems and that people would be able to uh, interact even more so than they normally could um, father this is this is a unique opportunity to be able to harness technology to our benefit yeah. so we accept it and we move forward uh, with the knowledge that you are going to make good out of this situation in every situation so, Dad, we love you. We thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cool. Okay, so, uh, like I said before, tonight's teaching comes out of the book of Acts, and we're going to be starting in Acts chapter 6. Um, I kind of titled this little teaching slash message, The Legacy of the Church Plus a Character Study of Philip the Evangelist. Ooh, so, that's a super long title but you'll get the picture as we go. Um, there's just some really, really cool stuff that I think we can take from these passages of Scripture tonight in terms of what the legacy of the church is, and you'll kind of understand that as we go. <clears throat> so this is kind of a, an expositional thing. We're just going to kind of be taking a few large chunks of Scripture and just reading them through and seeing what they have to say. I'm not going to be jumping around to different books and different chapters too much. Um, so let's just jump into it. We're in uh, the first few verses of Acts chapter 6. So. It looks like Corinne has a question actually about coronavirus. Okay. Um, on Facebook. Yeah, on Facebook. Yeah, I it just popped up. Yeah. It's Matt, how do you balance fear versus faith and wisdom with your daily walk with the coronavirus going on? Any practical encouragement on that end? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> fear sounds like a big what if and then follow that up with whatever bad scenario that you can fit behind it Hmm. what if this happens i don't know what i would do what if this happens you know what if what if what if what if all all the different bad scenarios that you know we potentially are are worried about or are fearful about um wisdom says you know i think it would be wise if i were to operate this way You know, I think it would, so just as an example, um, I think it would be wise for me to try and help out my elderly grandparents so that they can stay home and not be exposed to too many people. So I'm going to go do grocery shopping for them. I think that's wise for their safety. I'm not afraid for them, but it's wise to do something like that so that they can have the minimal exposure that's uh, possible. Um... So that is, that is a wise thing. Fear, on the other hand, just makes a mountain out of a molehill. <laughs> um, fear says, you know, oh, well, anybody that I could come into contact with could potentially be a carrier of this thing. And so I'm just going to isolate myself totally so that I don't, <clears throat> I, I don't have any chance whatsoever of, of contracting this thing or passing it on. Well, uh, you know, God says that he is protecting us from the plague and the pestilence that's what that's that that psalm 91 passage i was talking about um and just practically like well the best thing that we can do is is listen to what the experts are telling us to do if social distancing is the best way to you know put a stop to the spread of this thing cool let's distance ourselves socially to the extent necessary but that doesn't mean you walk around entertaining thoughts of what if, what if, what if. It's just not helpful and it's not healthy for you. In fact, the 
one of the biggest reasons that I think, and you know, I'm sure some leaders that have like knowledge of scripture and just knowledge of, of health in general would agree, one of the biggest reasons that this thing is spreading the way that it is is because people are living in fear. It is medically and scientifically proven that uh, living in fear, worry, and anxiety lowers the ability of your immune system to fight off viruses, infections, and diseases. So to live in fear and to entertain what-if scenarios, you are actually making yourself more susceptible to catching this thing than just if, if you weren't because your immune system is weaker. So the best way that we can live practically is to listen to what the experts say. Hey, it's wise to try and you know, not shake people's hands, stay six feet away from people, don't you know, gather in groups of more than 10, et cetera, et cetera. Um, don't come into contact with anybody that has any symptoms whatsoever. Like, sure, that's wise because you know, yeah, nobody wants to catch this thing. Nobody wants to experience what it's like or potentially pass it on to someone we love. But at the same time, the what-if scenarios and constantly having our thoughts dwell on this stuff, it's, it's making it worse for everybody and for you. So I hope that answers the question. Um, that's, that's kind of the best, the best I have on that. So um, any, more, any more questions before we move on? No. Okay, cool. Um, Acts chapter 6. So uh, let's just start and read... Uh, the first, like, seven verses, and then we'll kind of go back and dissect it a little bit. So, Acts chapter 6, starting verse 1. Now, in those days, as the disciples were multiplied, there was a murmuring among the Hellenists against the Hebrews, because their widows were overlooked in the daily distribution. So the twelve called the multitude of disciples together and said, It is not reasonable for us to leave the word of God and serve tables. Brothers, Look among yourselves for seven men who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint over this duty. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what was said pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, who was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, maybe not Lion King Timon, but uh, Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they presented before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they placed their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples grew rapidly in Jerusalem, and a great number of the priests were obedient to the faith. Okay, so like I said at the beginning, we're kind of doing a, a little character study on Philip the Evangelist. So this is actually the first mention of Philip in Scripture. Um, there's another Philip who was one of the 12 disciples. This is a distinctly separate Philip who became one of these first seven deacons of uh, the Jerusalem church. So um, <clears throat> a little context for where we're at. Um, in the beginning of Acts chapter 6, uh, this is following the establishment of the church at Pentecost. Um, it's still a very new thing. The church is growing rapidly but it's still pretty self-contained in Jerusalem itself, right? It hasn't spread outside of Jerusalem. But, uh, you know, you have the first several thousand people come to Christ in, uh, at Pentecost, and it's been growing ever since, but it hasn't gotten past Jerusalem locationally, really. Um, <clears throat> you've got the 12 apostles, who were the 12 disciples of Jesus, minus Judas, Ad Matthias, same 12. Um, <clears throat> and they are basically leading, leading the church, and they're grappling with, 
how to meet the needs of all of the people who are in the church community, um, since they were kind of operating under a communal lifestyle, right? If you read Acts chapter 4, it said they literally had all things in common. They were sharing all of their needs with each other. They were uh, basically pooling all their money together and like distributing as necessary. It was, it was first century like voluntary socialism. It's kind of crazy, or more communism actually, which we can have a whole conversation about that. But that's <laughs> let's not go there. Um, so <laughs> there's this dispute that comes up. Uh, so we have Jewish Christians and we have Greek Christians. And the Greek Christians are upset at the Jewish Christians because in the daily delivering of the food out to people, the Greek widows are being passed over. They're not getting their fair share. And so they bring this dispute to the apostles um, to basically figure out what to do. So the apostle solution we find in verses 3 through 6. said, Brothers, look among yourselves for seven men who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint over this duty. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Um, and so they picked, uh, they picked seven guys. One of those was Stephen and one of those was Philip. So <clears throat> um, these are the first seven deacons of the Jerusalem church. And you can look in verse 3 what the criteria of choosing these dudes was. Two criteria. They had to be full of the Holy Spirit and they had to be men of wisdom. Those are the two criteria for picking these guys that were to execute the solution to this problem. Okay? Um, so, we're talking about Philip. Philip met both of these criteria, or else he wouldn't have been chosen, obviously. Um, so he became a deacon at the Church of Jerusalem. Uh, it is noted in verse 6, after it gives the whole list of, of people that were chosen, it says, they were presented before the apostles and when they had prayed, they placed their hands on them. So it's important to know that these men, including Stephen and Philip, these seven guys, they were dispatched into service by the apostles through prayer and laying on of hands. That's an important thing. That's an important thing. So these guys were literally anointed to do the job that they were, that they were given. And it's also interesting that the apostles were basically like, hey, we have more important things to do than to serve tables. We need some faithful guys to solve this problem. What I find fascinating is that the criteria necessary for serving tables was they had to be full of the Holy Ghost and men of wisdom. Like, we wouldn't, we wouldn't think about that today in the church. We just say, you got a servant's heart, <laughs> go do it. <laughs> so uh, that, that is the first mention of Philip the Evangelist in Scripture. So um, <clears throat> the end of that passage, verse 7 it says, so the word of God spread and the number of the disciples grew rapidly in Jerusalem and a great number of the priests were obedient to the faith. So <clears throat> this is pretty cool because the fact that this verse immediately follows what we just read in verses 1 through 6, it kind of indicates that somehow as a result of these deacons being put in a position to execute this, this solution for this small problem, the church grew because of it. Yeah. Somehow, for some reason. I think that's cool. So, um, yeah, that was that's the first mention of Philip the Evangelist. That's where he gets his start. His start is really important. We're going to touch on that at the end. 
Um, but what follows this account is the account of Stephen's ministry. Stephen was the, the first of these deacons that was mentioned. Stephen's ministry uh, is talked about all from Acts chapter 6, verse 8, all the way to the end of Acts chapter 7. So we're actually going to skip that chunk <laughs> and move over to chapter 8 because we're talking about Philip tonight. Um, Stephen would also be in an absolute amazing study to do because, man, that was a bold dude. And he lost his life for it. He lost his life for his boldness. Um, so we're just going to we're gonna pass over that. <clears throat> um, but the important thing to note is that, uh, the important thing to note about Stephen's ministry is that it is, it was revered because of how full everything he did was with signs, wonders, and miracles. That's, that's how Stephen came to prominence. And we're going to see the same thing about Philip. So let's pick back up past, uh, past the ministry of Stephen and the whole big sermon he gives the Sanhedrin. We're going to pick back up at Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Let me get a little sip of water here. Okay, <clears throat> so we're gonna read. We're gonna read the first five verses. Um, Acts chapter eight, verse one. This is immediately following Stephen's death by stoning. It says, "And Saul was consenting to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem." And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. But Saul ravaged the church, entering house by house and dragging out both men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now let's actually just read. A couple more verses. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miracles which he did, they listened in unity to what he said. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So this is this is the first account of Philip's ministry and actually what he's doing. So I just kind of want to go through this kind of verse by verse and see exactly what's going on. So in verse 1, um, we've got this, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church. Um, so as a result of this new persecution, it says the church is scattered abroad. So like, like we talked about in Acts chapter 6, how it was all localized to the city of Jerusalem. At this point, it's scattered everywhere. People are no longer localized. The, only, uh, the, the main people, the, the apostles that were the leaders of the church, were still in Jerusalem, but everybody else was scattered abroad, including the seven deacons which Philip was a part of. Um, so this is, what I'm about to say is just conjecture, but I think it's, it's, probably, it's probably pretty spot on. Um, this, this strategy was probably exactly what Satan wanted, to spread out the church to reduce its power. Um, so the home base was retained in Jerusalem, but the institution of the church itself, which the church itself is the people, it's the congregation, um, was presumably dismantled uh, in the eyes of in the eyes of Satan and in the eyes of any onlooker. This is kind of what I just put in my notes here. Little did Satan know that what he actually was doing was awakening the beast. Mm -hmm. That was the church. Mm -hmm. He was awakening the beast um, because 
man, when, when the church was localized in Jerusalem, yeah, it was growing, but now we're about to see it spread to the entire world. And that's amazing. Satan awoke the beast by initiating this widespread persecution, um, which was actually perpetrated by Saul, who later became Paul. So pretty crazy. All right, so uh, skipping down to verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So when it talks about all those who scattered, like I said, that includes those seven deacons. That includes, uh, that includes Philip and the other five guys that were mentioned apart from Stephen. Um, and of those that were scattered due to this persecution, what was their response? Their response was, okay, after enduring persecution, being driven from their homes, uh, watching people being put in prison for their faith, what did they do? They went and preached the word everywhere they went anyway. That's pretty cool. Um, and I just put a little note here in my uh, in my outline. Is you, I know you guys have heard the phrase, "When the going gets tough, the tough get going." Yeah. That's what that's what these guys' mindset was. Um, you know, they they just and one of the, one of the crazy things that we're going to talk about at the end. I'll just share it a little bit now. Like Philip's response to <clears throat> the guy that he was brought up into ministry with, Stephen. Like his fellow deacon, his response to to him being stoned to death was to go out and preach harder. Mm. That's wild. That's crazy. So, Philip is an awesome guy to do a character study on because of this type of stuff. All right, so we can just keep going. Um, let's let's read let's read verse five all the way down through verse thirteen. So we already, we already read the first half of this, but Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miracles which he did, they listened in unity to what he said. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now a man named Simon was previously in the city practicing sorcery and astonishing the nation of Samaria, saying he was someone great. <clears throat> to whom they all listened from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. They listened to him because for a long time he had astonished them by his sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed as he watched the miracles and signs which were done. So... um, Let's see. So we see that when Philip preached, he was empowered to do miracles. And as a result of the people that were in the region of Samaria, as a result of them witnessing these miracles and these signs and wonders that followed his ministry, they listened and received what he had to say with joy. Um, Even Simon, this guy that was a sorcerer and operating, you know, essentially in the power of Satan upon seeing authentic Holy Spirit power believed in what Philip had going on. Um, as it's really, it's really important to note, like, as we read Scripture and actually as we encounter stuff in the real world, like, magic is real. Mm. Empowered by Satan, it is, it is totally real. There's, there's multiple 
um, instances that we find in the Old Testament and the New Testament of people operating in different forms of Satan-empowered magic. Genie and Jambres, uh, the, um, the pharaohs, essentially magicians and sorcerers, were able to conjure up the exact same signs that Moses was able to with his staff. Uh, Moses' staff that, staff that turned into a snake overpowered and ate their, the snakes that they you know, turned, turned from staffs, but still they were able to do the same thing. Um, there's, the, there's the account of um, King Saul going to the witch of Endor to summon, basically through necromancy, the spirit of Samuel from the dead. Like, this stuff is real. It, it actually is possible and exists in real life through Satan and his kingdom. So um, this, this is kind of a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I want you guys to know and understand that this stuff is real. And it is, it is a counterfeit of what God has that is like the true power of the Holy Spirit that we have access to. Um, so just be, be aware of that. I don't say any of this to scare anybody, but just be aware that this stuff is real and that it is, is definitely not from God um, when, when it is being used in certain ways and for certain reasons. Um, so yeah, just be aware of that. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So even this guy, Simon, who was operating in all this stuff upon seeing the real deal, he believed, he believed that's what Philip was. That's what Philip had going on. He had the real deal empowered by the Holy spirit. <clears throat> okay. So let's talk about some traits that we see in Philip that enabled him to walk in ministry this way. Um, so these are some things that I think make him an effective evangelist in this regard. So one, we know from, from the, be the beginning, the first mention of Philip in Acts chapter 6, that he was full of the Holy Spirit. you got to be full of the Holy Spirit to be able to do any of that stuff. Um, number two, he was a man of wisdom. That was one of the criteria necessary for him becoming a deacon in the first place. That empowered his evangelism. Number three, he was anointed to service by God through the leaders of his church. That's, that's the way that Philip was initiated into, uh, into ministry in the first place. Uh, he was anointed to that service by church leaders. And so there was the, the proper sending out, the proper, um, oh my gosh, what's the word? You get... Uh, no, not anointed. Ordained. You get ordained. He got ordained through the proper proper ways, through prayer and laying on of hands. So he had the authority to do this stuff that he was doing. Uh, and number four, he remained faithful to his calling. Uh, we can see that because he was elected to service in the church at Jerusalem. But even then, when that church was scattered and dissolved, essentially, and his circumstances changed, he continued to do everything he could for God wherever he was. So even though his assignment was no longer, he continued to be faithful to the calling that he knew was on his life to minister and to serve and to live for God in every way possible. Um, we could say all of the same stuff for Stephen. If you want to, if you want to go back and, and do a personal character study of Stephen. Stephen had all of these exact same traits um, and was brought up to ministry in this exact same way. Um, so these really are like the reasons that 
Philip was able to be such an effective minister for God and such an effective uh, evangelist bringing so many people to Christ and um, having that be the result of the witnessing of signs, wonders, and miracles that followed him everywhere he went in in, uh, in Samaria to start and then beyond, as we'll find out. Um, but, yeah, that that's really what, what Philip had, had going for him. Um, so, let's... let's Wow, is that I blew through that. That's awesome. Okay, so let's do some <laughs> let's talk about some some key takeaways about specifically about the legacy of the church and the legacy of Philip as an evangelist. One, this is kind of the first key takeaway that I thought of about all of this is the church itself is incredibly resilient in the face of changing circumstances. And that's real for today, what we're living right now. The church itself is incredibly resilient, even in the face of danger and death, because that is what they were facing. That's exactly what they were facing uh, at the beginning of Acts chapter 8. It talks um, talks about people being thrown in prison. They had just witnessed Stephen being stoned. Like, they knew what they were up against. It was, it was real persecution that ended in imprisonment or death. And yet, in the face of that, they were resilient because they remained faithful to their original call to service and faithful to who, to who God was and the fact that he was bringing them through. Um, so that's really important, and we can really, really take that away for ourselves, like what we're experiencing today in life. Like circumstances are changing. The circumstance that we are living in today, um, March, what's the day, 21st, March 21st, are way different than they were February 21st. Like just a month down the road, things have changed so much. Yet we need to stay, as the church, we need to stay resilient and adapt. That's exactly what Philip did. He adapted. Okay, I don't have my place of service anymore in the church of Jerusalem. I'm scattered abroad to some to the city of Samaria, which is not my home. All right, I'm going to do whatever I can for God here. That was his mindset. And God honored it and did huge things. Huge things. So the second takeaway about Philip specifically is one, uh, start small. Start small. Guys, if, if you want to do big things for God, if any of us want to do big things for God, we have to prove that we can be faithful over a few things so that he will make us ruler over many. Like it says in Matthew um, so Philip was first, first initially he was elected to the service of, as it says, serving tables. <laughs> That's literally what it says in Acts chapter six. He was, uh, he and those six other deacons were, were to serve tables and to basically distribute to, uh, the widows of the church and make sure that they got their fair share. You know, that's, that's not a task that somebody with, uh, great ministry ambition would jump at <laughs> necessarily but that's that's what being being a servant leader is all about and that's the example that Christ set for us yeah. and Philip embodied that he was faithful to that um so he ended up you know after that after faithfully fulfilling that calling and God honoring that he ended up as the most well-known named evangelist in scripture in in the new testament 
of anybody that's actually specifically called an evangelist in Scripture, he's the guy everybody knows about. Mm -hmm. Philip the evangelist. When you talk about evangelism, who do you think of? It's Philip. That's the legacy that he left because of where he started and because of being faithful in his original calling and just carrying that out wherever he was. So start small. God will honor that. Um, this is this last key takeaway uh, I think is, is the most relevant to us in, in real life today and what's going on with this coronavirus stuff. Um, I'm just going to read it as, as I wrote it down here. When life turns bad, pursue God more, not less. So, I mean, we've talked about this, but in response to rising persecution, believers being imprisoned and uprooted from their homes, and the death by stoning of his fellow deacon Stephen, all Philip did was go harder after what he knew God wanted. He didn't go into pity. He didn't entertain doubt. In fact, he did the opposite of entertain doubt. He doubled down on his belief and shared it with whoever would listen. <laughs> if guys, if, if you're inter entertaining doubt, you're not going to be sharing. Uh, you're not going to be sharing your your initial beliefs like they're the gospel truth. But that's exactly what Philip did because he believed. He doubled down on his belief in the face of uh, in the face of life looking pretty bleak and pretty glim, grim. Uh, he went harder after what God wanted. He doubled down on his initial, uh, his initial buy-in to the Christian life, and he went even harder. Um, so, and honestly, guys, that's really the key to evangelism itself: is to not just, not just believe and understand the truth of God intellectually, but to double down on it in a practical level to the sense in the sense that like I believe this so much and I I know it's so real that I'm just I have to tell people about it. Yeah. Like that's how you grow your faith and that's how you like you really really uh move forward in terms of like the belief that you have and walking in what you know is true is you know if you really believe it you're going to share it with somebody. You're going to share it with somebody. And so that's the type of legacy that, that Philip left. Uh, and his example for us as an evangelist is, hey, man, time is going to be rough every once in a while. Life is going to be rough every once in a while. But double down on God. Double down on what you know to be true. Double down on what you know to be right. And follow through on the things that God has called you to do. Um, don't give up. Don't give up. So, um, <clears throat> one of the cool things that um, I I get out of all of this is just the the blueprint of of the church itself. And Philip is a great example of it. But the blueprint of the church itself is that there is no blueprint. It's the perfect. It's the perfect organism that can adapt to ever-changing circumstances. No matter what life looks like, it molds and shapes into whatever it needs to be for that time. Yeah. That is what the church is. Amen. That is what we are a part of. That is what this body is a part of. Like, you know, if, if we get quarantined for two weeks, like some people are talking about, and we're only able to communicate with people through technology because we legitimately can't leave our houses... 
awesome. Let's adapt to it and let's live it. Let's let's live it and let's do it for for Christ and what He wants. You know, in terms of bringing the kingdom to earth. Guys, it does not matter what happens in this world. It does not matter what circumstances we're experiencing. It does not matter what persecution is, you know, staring at us in the face. We can be whatever we need to be for God. That's what the church is all about. Um, Cam Barton has shared with me stuff about uh, the church in Iran and the growing church in Afghanistan. Like, Yo, it looks so different than church does here. But that's because their circumstances are different. Mm. That's because they literally will get thrown in jail for, you know, sharing their beliefs. Some people will literally get ostracized by their families and even killed. Um, and yet they believe they believe this word so much that they are willing to double down on it to the point that they realize, hey, my life my life means nothing apart from this, so I'll, I'll give up my life for this. Yeah. I'll give up my life for this. So <clears throat> in, terms of, in terms of the legacy of the church, um, that's the legacy that I want us to leave as Identity House. Is like, hey, we did whatever it took. <laughs> it didn't matter what came our way. We did whatever it took. Yeah. You know, hey guys, you remember, remember that time coronavirus swept through in early 2020? Yeah, we had some great online meetings and people got to experience the love of God, you know, over the internet. And like, it was great because we just grew closer knit as a community and we shared love with with people that were outside of our community. And we got to meet their needs through, you know, bringing food to their door like we did this morning. Uh, You know, we got to do do all of that stuff and change and adapt and. You know, because of that changing and adapting, guys, we get to get creative about how we do this. We get to change our battle plan according to what the en- whatever the enemy's tactics are. We get to mold and shape what we're doing with God's leading, of course, and with the Holy Spirit guiding us and teaching us along the way. But we get to be the ultimate warriors who can who can fight any battle. Doesn't matter. So. I'm super hyped about this. I don't know if y'all can tell. <laughs> I don't know if y'all can tell. But let's just let's just talk. I just want to, before we end, I just want to share one crazy thing. We're not going to read the whole account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, um, which starts which starts in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. But just for, in the interest of time, we're not going to read the whole thing. But essentially... Uh, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise up and go towards the south on the way that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So after Philip's done with all of his cool stuff that he does in, in Samaria, um, an angel of the Lord just tells him, hey, go down there. And you guys know what happened What happened if you read the story. He meets this, this eunuch from Ethiopia, um, this basically a... a someone who's like high up in the Ethiopian government and he is on his way home from worshiping in Jerusalem and you know he's reading in the book of Isaiah and he's like who will ex- who can explain this to me and Philip comes along his chariot and starts explaining this passage in Isaiah that he's he's reading which Philip was only able to do because he had wisdom and a knowledge of and an understanding of the word of God um, but what happens he leads this guy to the Lord this guy gets baptized right there um, but the coolest, the craziest part, 
The craziest part about this story, man. Tell us. The craziest part. So, at the end, uh, so, after, after Philip's, like, explaining all of this, well, let's just read starting in verse 34. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you of whom does the prophet speak, of himself or someone else? Then Philip spoke, beginning with the same scripture, and preached Jesus to him. As they went on their way, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to halt. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, <laughs> and he went his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached the gospel in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Okay, first, before we get to like the big elephant in the room in this scripture, I, I just want you guys to, to look at this uh, and see, what, is it, what does it take to be saved? What does salvation take? Verse 37, Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. The guy says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That was good enough for Philip. He baptized him on the spot. That's all that salvation takes. We don't have to say some prayer. I mean, it's great. You can, you can say a prayer. Like, do it. I, said, I have said many salvation prayers in my life. <laughs> more than one. More than probably like ten. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's how it was as a Baptist. <laughs> you had to, every Sunday, you had to... You had to readdress all of the sins that you had already repented for, but you, you were guilted into, you know, addressing them again, so you got saved all over again every week. <laughs> but, guys, what, being, being a believer, what, it's, what is it all about? It's about believing, that's it. <laughs> you just gotta believe. Yeah, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, or confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all it takes. It's that simple. You know what's great about that? That's so easy to share with people. Yeah. That's so easy to evangelize. That's so easy to bring as a message. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, confess with your mouth, confess it with your mouth, believe it in your heart. Hey man, you're part of the family. That's how easy evangelism can be. Mm, is we just thing. share that fact. Yeah. Hey man, Jesus is God. He died for you. He rose from the dead so that you could live. You want to do this? <laughs> you know? It, it's so much simpler than we make it out to be. It's so much simpler. All right, so now, now let's address the elephant in the room of this story. Uh, verse 39. When they came up out of the water, so literally, the dude got dunked, and Philip was gone. <laughs> Spirit of the Lord took Philip away. Guys, am I saying that, like, teleportation is possible with God? Seems that way. <laughs> Certainly seems that way. I'm not going to try to make it happen. If if God wants if God wants to teleport me, He's going to have to do it because there's there's no way that I can figure out how that works. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep going on my life, trusting Him and doing what He wants me to do. And if He like instance me to some other city in some other country somewhere, then so be it. Make it happen, God. But like, this is what. Walking in faith and being obedient to God is all about is this type of thing. It's that, hey God, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to send me, I will listen and I will go. Because the beginning of this, this section of scripture is the, an angel of the Lord came to Philip and told him, go here. 
Philip was not a Jonah. Philip did not turn around the other way <laughs> and go try to, try to run to another safe city. Philip went where God told him to go. And because of his obedience, another convert was made, and then God took him to the next place. And the reason that God took him to the next place and teleported him is because he knew that Philip was going to be obedient. He knew that Philip was going to continue doing what he asked him to do. That's what this Christian life is all about. That's the legacy of these first century church apostles that they left for us. Is, is be resilient when the tough gets go- when the when the going gets tough, the tough get going. It's start small, be faithful in the little things. It's pursue God more when life gets bad, and it's be obedient and trust that you know wherever God wants to send me, I'll go. I'll go and I'll do it. I'll go and I'll do it. So that's kind of all I've got <clears throat> for you guys tonight. Um, I don't know what we'll jump into next in the coming weeks. Maybe we'll. It would be cool to talk about Stephen at some point, so we can get the take on that whole story because he was a really cool dude. Um, I've just been really, really enjoying jumping into the Book of Acts because uh, realizing the the legacy that the church, that first century church, left for us, and like all of the things that are available to us as the body of Christ, is just amazing to see. It's amazing to see. And, you know, it's, it's like that, that verse we read in Matthew chapter 24 talking about the coronavirus. Things are going to get crazier. Mm-hmm. Life is going to get crazier. Um, what's, what's that? The end of that one verse, it says, and this is just the beginning of sorrows. Right. Like, there will continue to be war. We will continue to experience war. We will continue to experience stuff like famines and pestilences and epidemics and stuff you know one of the one of the things that uh, a lot of biologists and ecologists and stuff talk about is our shortage of bees and how if bees go extinct that we literally ain't gonna have any food <laughs> like there's not gonna be food and so I mean that is that is something that the people the people who know what's going on are very 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 concerned about the possibility of like worldwide famine um, that's a possibility. The Word of God allows for that possibility. It could happen. And so are we going to be ready to trust God when that thing comes upon us? Are we going to be ready to double down in faith when that thing comes about? Or are we going to go into pity and say, you know, oh, I don't have food to eat. Oh, you know, stuff with the this coronavirus stuff. Like we're we're talking about people losing hours at work and losing jobs and like, you know, not going to be able to, to have enough hours to, to pay the bills and pay rent and stuff like that, you know. Are we going to double down our faith or are we going to let that affect us to the point where we stop doing what God wants us to do? Mm. Guys, we cannot let this stuff affect us to the point where we stop doing what God wants us to do. Good, yeah. um, because the church didn't. They faced certain death in persecution. <clears throat> I mean, not certain death, but... All of the apostles that we know of, save John, was uh, martyred. So, uh, this stuff is real, and life's only going to get crazier. As, as time moves on and, and the end approaches, Like things are only going to get crazier. Jesus told us it would happen, but what did he say? Be not troubled. And so, if we're going to be not troubled, that means that we're trusting in God and what he says, and that we're doubling down on our faith. So that's all I've got 
for you guys. Um, are there any like we can have a, a little bit of time for some online questions and I stuff? I have one person, uh, Ms. Kimberly Cruz, like yes, Amen. Let's pray to be full of the Holy Spirit. Double down. Cool. Love it. That's that's all I have for. Cool. Well, we can we can chill for a little bit and guys out there on Zoom and Facebook, if there are any like if you guys have any questions or comments. We have people moderating those, so uh, if y'all want to jump in and and share something or ask a question, we're certainly up for that. But um, I just really hope that you guys were able to get get excited like I was upon reading this and upon like meditating on and and thinking about the the legacy that the church left that first century church left for us. Um, just thinking about Philip specifically and reading the story of Stephen. I highly encourage you guys to read uh, the end of Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7 to get the take on, on Stephen. He was a an amazing guy, the first martyr. Um, so there's there's definitely an example there for us. That there's a Basically the entire chapter of chapter 7 is dedicated to this big, long sermon that he gave um, to, the, to the Sanhedrin. And it's really interesting to follow that where it, where it goes and try to figure out what he was getting at. Um, but are there any online questions? If not, I'm ready to... Preston sh- <laughs> says hello. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> I'm, ready to, I'm ready to shut it down. Are there any questions on Zoom? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking, no one has typed anything out, um, but if anyone needs to be unmuted and wants to speak um, that way as well, we can do that as well. Ryan Taylor just said yes. I don't know if he's just saying yes and amen, <laughs> but if I can say yes. <laughs> yeah, exclamation points. Ryan has a question. There it is. Uh, cool. He just said I love you. Was what? that Noah? Sounded like Noah. Yeah. What's up? Yay! <laughs> we love you guys too. We're waiting on Ryan Tillery's question. Yep. Go but ahead. Is, it is he on Zoom or is he on Facebook? He's on Facebook. He's okay. On Facebook. I'm on Facebook Kids on Zoom. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Are there any questions from any of you guys that are here? If not, that's cool. Um, this is such a good teaching. Cool. Like, I feel like it definitely addresses a lot of things. Cool. Yeah, it was. It was super. Super cool. Um, I mean, we decided kind of what tonight was going to be on like a month ago. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago before any of this coronavirus stuff was really prevalent. Um, and so I knew I knew that tonight I was going to be talking about Philip um, and that we were going to be kind of doing a, a character study, a more expositional style thing on him um, and about kind of evangelism in general. But... <clears throat> I didn't know that it was going to be so applicable, <laughs> which is cool. So that's just it's crazy how God works and how he does how he does stuff like that. So I don't, it could just be the case that I read the story with with the coronavirus lens on and just molded all of my notes and all of my all the things that I took away from it with that lens, but it, that could be the case. But still yeah, still good timing. For sure. So good. Here we go. Cool. Um, Ryan says, why Why is the Holy Spirit and wisdom separate when the Spirit is a Spirit of wisdom? Do you want to repeat the question? No, I got it. Okay. He's referring to uh, the two criteria 
that were required of the deacons um, <clears throat> that were required of the the deacons of, of choosing uh, like the apostles' solution to this thing in Acts chapter six verses three through six. Uh, the two criteria for choosing these seven deacons was they must be full of the Holy Spirit and they must be men of wisdom. Um, so you can be full of the Holy Spirit, but wisdom is also a separate gift <laughs> that God gives. Um, you know, there are people that are full of the Holy Spirit, but their purpose and their calling is to, you know, serve in certain types of ministry that don't require a whole lot of forethought or wisdom because, you know, they're just doing boots on the ground type stuff, which actually was the stuff that, you know, these, these guys were called to do. But wisdom, wisdom is like an inherent character trait in a lot of ways. That's a gift of God. Anybody can have the Holy Spirit, but not everybody is gifted with a gift of wisdom. So yes, wisdom is something that comes from the Holy Spirit but wisdom, there's also a, a separate outpouring or availability of wisdom that God has for certain individuals, who, whomever He decides to to pour it out on. So, I mean, that's my answer. I don't. That's as good as I got. I I think pretty good. seems right. I don't know. I think that. I don't know. Anything else? We can be done. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, I hope that worked out for all of you guys that are like following us online and we're joined tuned in tonight we're yeah we'll see how <laughs> we'll see what we do in the coming weeks and yeah, i don't know everyone we'll have to let you know <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll play it by ear yeah we're adapting we're being adaptive exactly we're being adaptive so yeah, you guys that like tuned in tonight, let us know if this worked out for you. If something really didn't work, let us know because yeah, we, we need to we need to figure it out and change up what we're doing. So, um, yeah, I love all you guys. Thanks for thanks for tuning in and being here. And it's really a, a sad thing that we don't get to actually fellowship together in person, but we're doing what we can with what we've got, and God's gonna honor it anyway. So. Cool. All right. Yay! Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this message on the Identity House Ministries podcast. If you are interested in finding out more about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Identity House. We pray that today's teaching brings you in closer relationship with God the Father and empowers you to walk in your God-given identity.